Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Care Patrol of Connecticut in New York is your number one partner for securing safe senior living options and navigating the senior care continuum. Their services are at no cost to you, and they guide you through the entire process. Visit www.carepatrolct.com for details. And welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, 203-333-9422. The other day I read a really good thought-provoking, I thought rather brilliant piece on dissecting uh, what it is about this conversation around identity politics that has so much of a, so many of us flummoxed in which we end up either having knee-jerk reactions like you're wrong, you're a reactionary, you're missing the big picture of what it was like to be discriminated against uh, for 200 years and going back to slavery versus wait a minute, wait a minute, I came here and I'm a pick the hyphenated American and my parents came here off the boat and they assimilated. And it's not just about your identity as terms of your ethnicity, but it's also about who you are, your individual merit. And the ideals of America are such that we want to get away from color and color and color. And in this conversation, it seems like people are very quick to call each other bigoted and racist there's a larger conversation of what it means to even have free speech in our country anymore. People retreat to their corners. They're afraid to talk. And a lot of this has to do with being boxed in by the extremisms of both Republicans and Democrats. Yasha Monk wrote a New York Times guest essay called How to Argue Against Identity Politics Without Turning into a Reactionary. He is a writer and academic. He says he is known to come to the defense of philosophically liberal values. He was born in Germany to Polish parents and received his BA in history from Trinity College in Cambridge, his PhD in government from Harvard, and he's a professor at my alma mater, although I didn't graduate SICE, the International Affairs School at Johns Hopkins, but I graduated undergraduate years ago. He is a contributing ed editor at The Atlantic, a senior fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. He hosts something called the Good Fight Podcast. And he has written five books, including Stranger in My Own Country, A Jewish Family in Modern Germany. So I welcome Yasha Monk. We haven't spoken before, but Yasha, welcome to the Lisa Wexer Show today. And thank you so much for writing that essay. Hello. 
Thank, thank you so much. Hi, I look forward to this conversation. Yes, me too, me too. So, okay, Yasha, in your words, in your own words, because I read the essay, I thought it was brilliant. What are you trying to tell people in that essay? Yeah, so the essay is, is based on my new book, which is actually out today, called uh, The Identity Trap. And what I try to do in the essay and in the book is to really uh, take seriously a new set of ideas about race and gender and sexual orientation that have become very influential uh, in the United States over the course of the last years. Um, uh, you know, I try to understand where these ideas actually come from, how they could go from being influential in some parts of academia to uh, you know, changing how many of our institutions work, our corporations, our nonprofit uh, organizations, our religious communities, our schools, our universities. I, I, I critique some of the main applications of these ideas to topics from free speech to cultural appropriation. And finally, I, 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 I point out how to argue back against them. And, and what my argument about these ideas is, is that, you know, when you talk about you know, things being woke or things being critical race theory in public, you know, sometimes there's the people on the right who just call anything they don't like uh, woke or critical race theory, including some very reasonable things like uh, acknowledging the, the sins of American history or recognizing that there's still forms of discrimination today. But, but as a result, a lot of people on the left or in the mainstream, a lot of my friends and colleagues think that, you know, what it is to be woke is just wanting to be nice, right? This is recognizing reality. And, and actually, when you go into these ideas, it becomes very clear that this is a novel ideology and one that really does fundamentally challenge uh, many longstanding values in the United States. Um, I think it actually really uh, challenges and undermines one of the political traditions that, that, that I most value in the United States, that which goes from Frederick Douglass and, and Abraham Lincoln to Martin Luther King and, uh, uh, and others, uh, one that recognizes the imperfections of America, recognizes that we've never lived up to our principles fully, but says that's all the more reason to try and live up to them, to make sure that uh, how we treat each other isn't always dependent on the group of which we're apart, that actually those things will become less important because we fix those injustices. This tradition says, no, 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 we've never been able to make progress. Uh, the, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, Brown versus Board, all of those things are not going to help us. We have to rip those things up and create a world in which how we treat each other and how the state treats us is always dependent uh, more explicitly on the group of which we're a part. That, I think, is a, is a very large mistake, and, and that's what I'm arguing against. And you say that you're philosophically liberal, but actually, if we were going to put you into a corner based on today how we define liberal and conservative, you would sound more conservative, Mr. Monk, than you would liberal because the liberal bent, which is associated with leftist policies, has been all about your group, your grouping, your group, your group, your group. Well, I think the term liberal is, is, a, is a complicated one. Um, I don't mean it in the sense uh, that, that we, we talk about partisan identities today, right? Like liberals tend to vote for Democrats and conservatives tend to vote for Republicans. When, when, I, when I use the word liberal, and I know that it's kind of a losing fight, what I'm talking about is, uh, you know, the philosophically liberal ideas that were shared by people from, from John Stuart Mill to, to, to Friedrich Hayek and, uh, you, know, you know, probably by, by modern-day presidents from 
Ronald Reagan to, to, to Barack Obama. It's a basic idea that we should hold uh, to values of individual freedom, that yes. we should care about uh, free speech. Yes, I agree with you. It's a classic liberalism. It's the classic yes. it's the classic ACLU kind of liberalism that seems to have gone away even at the ACLU, which is more to the pity. Yes, and, and frankly there's some great institutions like FIRE that are stepping into the breach, but it's one of the interesting science of this moment, right? The ACLU uh you know, I'm 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 Jewish and I grew up in Germany, my uh, you know, much of my family perished in the in the Holocaust. Um, but I always admired the ACLU for its most famous case, in which it defended the right of these neo Nazis to uh, march through Skopje, a town in yeah. Illinois that was mm-hmm. home to a lot of Holocaust survivors. And you know, the Jewish lead um, plaintiff for the ACLU said, "I didn't defend that organization because I agreed with it. I defended that organization because I realized that they weren't allowed." to uh, express their speech, then a lot of speech that I like would be banned as well. We can't have a system where whether you're allowed to speak depends on how much power you have. Well, one of the things I show in, in the Identity Trap in the new book is how so many parts of the mainstream and so many parts of the left, including the ACLU, have given up on that value um, and why that's a mistake, why we need to stand up not just for the First Amendment, but for a broader culture of free speech so that whether we are able to express our opinion doesn't depend on the arbitrary decisions um, of some federal bureaucrat or you know, some employee in a tech company apply standards we may not even know but may not even be public uh, in figuring out whether we can you know, post on social media or have a bank account or, 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 or take a plane. Yasha Monk, you know, this is really playing in school boards now. It's playing out everywhere in America. It's playing out in job interviews. It's playing out in the cancel culture. How do we who want to think of ourselves as broad-minded, tolerant individuals um, have conversations? How do I have a conversation with my black friend and say to her, I think critical race theory is a bunch of crap. I think identity politics is a, is a trap. And I don't want to seem like a racist and a bigot and an awful human being. And I don't want to deny the fact that you and your people have been tremendously discriminated against, which is a historical fact in this country. But I don't buy into the fact that your blackness is something that should totally define the way you're treated in society. How do you say that to somebody and not come off sounding like a condescending racist? Well, first of all, uh, you know, your, your black friend may very well agree with that. There's, there's a great study uh, sociologically of who the people are who most uh, endorse these ideas. Um, uh, they call this group sort of progressive activists. And the most striking thing about that group is that it's disproportionately white, disproportionately highly educated, and disproportionately very affluent. So this, in many ways, is more prevalent in Ivy League campuses than it is in, you know, barbershops in Connecticut. Um, so, that's, so that should put you at ease right from the top, right? Um, uh, the second thing to say is that um, it's really important that uh, we stand on principles here. I think too often in this conversation what people do is to say, look, anything that somebody might call woke or anything uh, that, I dis- you know, that, that I dislike, I'm just going to say the opposite of, right? So if you say A, I'm going to say not A, no, no matter what the context. 
Um, mm. uh, to argue against these ideas, you have to claim the moral high ground. Don't be apologetic about what you're arguing for, but don't be a jerk either. Simply calmly, confidently, straightforwardly state your beliefs and root them in your most noble convictions. As I was saying earlier in this interview, I think the idea that there obviously are continuing injustices, but that we have made progress in overcoming those and that we can continue to do so by living up to the best in America's tradition. That's an idea that goes from uh, Frederick Douglass uh, to, to, to Abraham Lincoln to, to Martin Luther King Jr. Frederick Douglass realized that in his day, newspapers could write terrible racist things because of free speech. And yet he called free speech the dread of tyrants because he realized it's also what allowed him and fellow abolitionists to argue for their ideas, which were very unpopular at the time. So I think if you root, if you argue calmly, you try to appeal to the reasonable majority rather than the extremes, you claim the moral high ground, and you're rooted in your own principles, explaining why your vision for America is your best guess for how to create a better, fairer country, um, then I think people will feel that sincerity. Uh, Mr. Monk, you write this. It's very interesting. So I'm reading from your essay recently in the New York Times. You write, there was even growing evidence that the rapid adoption of these progressive norms, where you talk about students conceiving of themselves as, quote, racial beings. I mean, this is a huge thing now because second graders, third graders, I have friends of kids that are little kids in my public school system in Connecticut in Fairfield County, and they're coming home with questionnaires. And this has all been... Uh, in Connecticut, which is a very progressive state, this has all been given the okay by the state legislature that said a year or two ago, and I remember reporting on this, that it was going to be okay for school districts to ask kids, particularly about their sexual identity at very young ages, because the state wanted to collect data on this. And all of a sudden, little kids are being asked to categorize themselves and box themselves, even even about their own sexual identity as young as seventh grade, sometimes even younger. And parents are increasingly very uncomfortable about this. And so this idea of identity isn't merely race, it's very much sexuality too. And so you say there is growing evidence that the rapid adoption of these progressive norms is strengthening the very extremists who pose the most serious threat to democratic institutions. Uh, why do you say that? What's going on there? Well, uh, you know, one of the things I tried to figure out in this book is how is it that these ideas that have these really interesting academic roots and uh, traditions like postmodernism and postcolonialism and critical race theory um, that become influential on campus by about 2010, but that are really marginal in society as a whole at that time. How do they come to be in incredibly influential in mainstream society over the course of the, 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 the next decade. And so, so that's, I think, one sort of key thing to, 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 to understand. And, and part of the story that, that you're pointing out goes back to an idea of uh, strategic essentialism, the idea that um, in order to uh, mobilize people to oppose injustices that they've supposedly suffered, um, you should encourage them as strongly as possible 
to lean into those kinds of group identities because that's what's going to allow them the sort of collective consciousness to fight against these things. And so it's become this strange part of a lot of progressive educational spaces to say, hey, we're sometimes going to take kids in the third grade, in the second grade, in the first grade, we're going to split them up by race, and we're going to try and convince them to think of themselves primarily as racial beings, so primarily in terms of their developing uh, sexual or gender identities, because that's what's going to allow us to fight against this injustice. That's what a good education does, right? And of course, one of the problems with this is that this can very easily backfire, that when people are told to define themselves by those groups, they're going to fight for for the interests of those groups. And that can lead to the kind of zero-sum politics, the kind of uh, ethnic rivalries, all the kind of clashes between members of different sexual orientation that we precisely want to avoid in our schools and in our society. Uh, Yasha Monk, will you stay with us? We're going to be right back. We're talking with a very brilliant, provocative thinker. Uh, We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back. We're chatting with Yasha Monk a New York Times guest essayist. His book, How to Argue Against Identity Politics Without Turning Into a Reactionary, opens today. He's got a podcast as well, which is called The Good Fight. And we are continuing to have a conversation about why identity politics runs contrary to what many of us cherish as the American ideals of this country. The next question, Yasha Monk, I have to ask you is, Assuming that we get that far in a conversation or assuming that a lot of us who are, um, who are very perturbed and, and disturbed about second and third graders having to put themselves into boxes, and it's fascinating to me that you say that this is a very obvious strategic effort in order to create more warriors for causes later on and how damaging it can be to the psyche and how damaging it can be to the fabric of American society – how do we reverse the trend if we feel that this is some kind of an encroaching cancer on our social policy? How do we reverse the trend without, again, being called all kind of terrible names? How do we reverse the trend? Yeah, so I think I, I, I shared a little bit of kind of tactical advice about that earlier, right? Um, uh, claim the moral high ground. Make sure that you're rooted in your deepest principles. Um, as we're talking about, uh, you know, for me, that's philosophical liberalism. For you, that might be conservatism or Christian faith or 
the precepts of Buddhism or, or something else entirely. And, and that's fine. Bring your whole self to the table and explain why uh, telling people that the, the, the principal way that they should think of themselves, that they should identify is in terms of the group into which they're born, actually uh, is rejected by a very broad range of, of moral and, and religious traditions, in, in including, uh, in this case, your, your, your own. Um, but then I think it is also a matter of uh, institutions changing how they operate. Um, you know, a lo- at the moment, a lot of time, what happens is that uh, people sort of capitulate in front of the loudest person, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, uh, you know, in many activist spaces, um, people now refer to Hispanics, to people who have roots in Latin America, as Latinx. Um, we know from opinion poll that, polls that 98% of Hispanics prefer uh, the older designations, whether it's Hispanic or Latino, um, and yet, every organization I'm a part of, when they have some kind of institutional uh, you know, email that goes around in my university or in various institutions I'm a part of, uh, it says Latinx. And why is that? Well, it's, it's, it's for a simple reason. If you're the leader of an institution and you go with a preference of the majority, they might you know, be happy, but there's going to be a couple of very, very angry people who say, this is terrible, this is not the right term, this is offensive. Right? You're a bad person. You're a bigot. And if you uh, accede to their demand and go over the term that they prefer, then uh, most people might be secretly unhappy, but they're not going to have the same anger. They're not going to fight in the same way. And so mm. if you're an institutional leader, you actually have to think about your responsibility. Who are you serving here? Is your responsibility to the many people? always your responsibility to the couple of people who shout very loudly about it. And if you think that it's a former, then express firmly but politely why you have made that choice. Linked to the poll where it says that 98% of Hispanics prefer that that term not be used for them. And stand your ground. And I think when you do that, you, you reach the reasonable majority. You know, I'm really struck in opinion polls, but most Americans uh, are tolerant, they're aware of the injustices in our history. They're worried about things like police violence. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, they also are proud of parts of American history. They also want to support uh, good cops uh, and to reform the police in such a way that it can actually uh, support our communities. Yes. Um, they, they, they have sophisticated and reasonable views. On American history, for example, most Americans... Uh, you know, including most Democrats, want to honor George Washington and Definitely. our founding fathers. Definitely. At the same time, most Americans, including most Republicans, um, want to uh, make sure that children are taught about the history of slavery and the Definitely. injustice in America. That's right. We can have both at the same time, and that's what we need to stand up for. You know, there was a case, I know you have to run soon, but do you, do you, are you familiar with the case back in 2015 of a Yale lecturer who um Nicholas Pustakas. Yes, exactly. And he came under fire, under attack for challenging students to stand up for their right to decide what Halloween costumes to wear. 
even if they were offensive to others. He ultimately resigned from Yale. There was a huge hullabaloo. He was basically shunned from campus. He was called all kinds of names, but he wanted to defend the right of free speech on Yale's Ivy League hallowed campus to say, look, somebody may not like the costume you're wearing, but they shouldn't be able to prevent you from wearing that costume on Halloween. And by the way, I think he also thought people were being overly sensitive to some historical tropes and things like that. And what did well, you think about that? Well, let me say a couple of things. I think, by the way, and, and, and Nicholas, who, who's, who's a friend and acquaintance, still does teach at Yale. He was the a head of a residential house at, at Yale, and he resigned oh, okay. um, from that you. position. But he continues to be a professor at, at Yale, um, uh, and his wife continues to teach there as well. Um, uh, but, um, uh, look, I, I, you know, I'm very worried about these things, um, and I've written extensively about people who've been punished in deeply unfair ways, um, in ways that should concern us for speaking their mind. I'm struck by the fact that over the last five or six years, um, you know, whether I have lunch with uh, friends who are, you know, in, in whatever jobs uh, around the country doing whatever they do professionally, or with some very prominent people with United States senators or CEOs, um, at some point during lunch, they will say, after expressing, you know, the kind of views that I've expressed in this conversation, they will say, of course, I would never say this publicly. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, is an indictment of our culture. But honestly, it's also a little bit shameful on them. Because for all of the high-profile stories of people suffering bad consequences for speaking their minds, for expressing their views, most of the time, nothing bad happens. And if we all spoke of our minds, if we all stopped... Uh, self-censoring in these kind of ways, then the reasonable majority would finally be in charge again. So what I want to do in The Identity Trap in, in, in my new book that's out today is to give people the self-confidence and the understanding uh, of these ideas and the best version of the arguments against them they need in order to speak out. Because I think if all of us who are well-intentioned, who are not reactionaries, um, we're not bigoted in these ways, uh, make our voices heard, then that creates a cascade effect where more and more people can actually express their views and perhaps we can even sort of take back some of these uh, institutions um, in, you know, which, which have gone wrong in the last years. So, so that's really what I'm trying to accomplish with my writing in this book. And I, I think if all of us um, decide to have that little bit of courage, um, then together we're going to succeed. Yasha Monk, The Identity Trap. Hope you have a happy and healthy new year. I don't know if you fasted. I hope you had an easy fast. If you did, I want to thank you very much for coming on the show. I will be reading with interest your continuing writings. Say hello to my alma mater, Johns Hopkins, for me. And thank you very much for being on the show today. Really, really. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed this conversation. Me too. We'll be right back with more of the Lisa Wexler Show. Stay tuned. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at lisa at lisawexler.com. 